my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hello, and welcome to season two of the Future Legends of Advertising podcast on iHeart, featuring the hottest up-and-coming stars in advertising, as well as the biggest legends in the game. In this series, we explore the future of the advertising industry through never-before-heard conversations between those who created it and those who are shaping its future. We're your hosts, Haley Romer and Ross Martin. Now, let's meet the legends. Hello, good afternoon, and welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm thrilled to be here on another episode of Future Legends of Advertising through the Advertising Hall of Achievement. We are joined today by Alicia Azali, marketing executive and board member. We are so lucky Alicia is here because she spent more of a decade of her career as a marketer in the insurance industry, of course, and there's so much more to what Alicia's done. We'll get to that in just a second. Most recently, Alicia was the Enterprise Chief Marketing Officer at American Family Insurance. And in that role, she served as the company's top marketer, setting the marketing strategies for the entire portfolio of brands and representing $13 billion in sales. As the Enterprise CMO, she was overseeing brand strategy, advertising and media, consumer insights, and much more. Alicia was previously the Chief Revenue Officer at the General Insurance, where she also served as Executive Advisor for the diversity and inclusion efforts that happened there. Alicia's held executive roles at Nationwide Insurance and P&G, but regardless of her professional role, she is a leader with purpose who uses her voice to champion diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's worth noting that she currently serves on the Shaquille O'Neal Foundation Board, the Global Board of Mobile Marketing Association, the Advisory Board of Morehouse College, and is a founding board member of Color Vision. Alicia, it's incredible to have you here. Everybody raves about you. Thank you for joining us, and thanks for coming on and having this conversation. Oh, it's a privilege to be here. Thank you so much. Terrific. And we are joined by none other than the legend, Kathy Black, currently principal of Madison Park Ventures and former chairman and president of Hearst Magazines, where she was my boss's 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 boss. (laughs) Kathy is a name synonymous with groundbreaking achievements in the fields of advertising and publishing. She launched her career selling magazine classifieds and capped it as the president and chairman of Hearst Magazines for 12 years. Today, as a principal in Madison Park Ventures, she continues to be a driving force in the industry. Throughout her journey, Kathy consistently shattered glass ceilings, earning her the distinction of being the first in various pivotal roles. 
the first ad manager of Ms. Magazine, the first female publisher of New York Magazine, the first president and publisher of U.S. Today, the first female president of Hearst Magazines. Her visionary leadership laid the foundation for countless women, myself included, in the publishing field and earned her title of America's First Lady of Magazines. Her enduring influence and impact are nothing short of legendary. Kathy's legacy was commemorated with her induction into the AAF's Advertising Hall of Fame in 2023. And beyond her incredible professional accolades, Kathy dedicates her time to mentoring and advising female entrepreneurs using her profound ability to harness the power of partnerships to foster transformative success. Kathy, I've looked up to you for so many years. It's such an honor and a privilege to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. I, I think I can only disappoint you after all of that. <laughs> I, I highly doubt that that is possible, but it's so fun because I think the idea of this podcast for us was really about getting people together who are shaping the future of the industry. And in that, we so clearly have Alicia. And of course, Kathy, there's so much to learn from you as you have shaped not only industries, but the careers of so many people. So I might just sort of kick it off with a quick question to you, Alicia, which is, as you think about your legacy, how do you think about those who've come before you, like Kathy? Well, first, I want to I want to start kind of where you left off, which is a thank you to you, Kathy, for um, blazing trails that I get to walk on. Yeah. And I don't mean that in jest. I mean that in I'm not the only woman in the room. Yeah. There might be still more men, to be clear. Um, but I know that when there are other firsts, and you were so many times a first, um, that that allows me to, um, especially as a, a woman of color, a Black woman, be able to very proudly represent those voices in the chairs and the tables that I sit in. So I want to start with a thank you. And to your question, Haley, when I think about my legacy, which goodness, um, I don't reflect on it that much because I feel like I'm still very much into it. It is really about creating space for others and really about being intentional about what that looks like. And so I'll start with a bit of a story. I was um, giving a speech to an organization and I just happened to have my hair in braids. And I wasn't really thinking anything of that moment because I was on vacation and had to do this speech. And so my hair was braided and I got maybe five or seven text messages from other women who said, gosh, thank you uh, for being yourself, for bringing yourself and wearing your hair in braids, which seems simple. But when you think about legacy and creating space for others, representation matters a big deal. And so when you can see it, you think that, that yeah. you can do that. And so I would say, when I think about legacy for me, I, I, I don't really do that because I feel like I'm in it. And when I'm in it, I'm trying to make sure that I'm pulling the chair out, make sure I'm lifting the voice in the room. If someone's quiet, hey, what are you thinking? And making sure that that inclusivity is, is just ever present um, because I'm privileged to have um, a seat at the table. Great. And so I, I would, I've got lots of questions for Kathy um, and, and I'd love to, Kathy, hear from you around, you know, you're a trailblazer, you're an entrepreneur, you are a CEO, author, like all the things, just a badass woman, period. And so I, I, I wonder how you and, and where you are in your life, how do you define purpose for you? You know, defining purpose is a, is a, multi-layered 
question, but I would take it to a simpler level. You know, when I was young, 22, just out of college, and I promise I will not take you through all of this, but it was so important to me to have a job that I loved. And not everybody has that opportunity. Many people have to slug it away and hate every single day. And I just have always felt like, well, if you don't like it, move on. But I remember my my first real interview, I'm from Chicago originally, was at J. Walter Thompson. And I was just out of college and I'd heard that they had an executive training program. So I was really excited. So I have an appointment and this guy that, had, well, whether he was head, I have no idea. And we didn't even call it HR. It was called personnel back then. Um, and so I said, well, I'm very interested, you know, with my little sort of smiley Chicago face. Um, I'm very interested in hearing about that. And he looked at me and he said, oh, well, that's for men. The executive mm-hmm. training program is for men. And I said, why? And he kind of flim flammed around. And he said, well, let's put it this way. You know, you're going to be getting married in a couple of years. You're going to have kids and you'll leave the workforce. Now, mind you, I never took any time off in a 40 plus year career. I have no idea what the man's name is, but I hope he remembers what he said to me as a gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, But, you know, I just, I feel like the the things that I cared the most about, I mean, when I went to Ms. in the early days and we did sales calls across the country for anybody that would see us, I mean, they just looked at us like we were freaks and weirdos. Mm. They could not contemplate what Ms. even meant. You know, they they expected that we would be um, appreciative of the simplest little job. Mm-hmm. And yet we were beginning to say, I mean, I remember sitting with a, a big media director at an ad agency and right behind him on his uh, credenza, there was a beautiful picture of his family, five daughters. And he was, he just couldn't understand what Ms. would be about. And I said, you know, with with respect, but I said, if you'll turn around and look at the picture of your five young, beautiful daughters in their 20s. This is why we are here. That part. We are here to make change. We want the same jobs that you did as a younger person. And it should, we are going to open up, you know, not just the ceiling, but every door up and down these ad agency, you know, I mean, we would have people like, like literally hanging out of those offices to see what the freaks and weirdos from Ms. would look like. And they they could never kind of get their hands around it very much. And so as time went on, you know, we got a little smarter, we got a little better, but still, I mean, we would come back to the office every night, there were like five salespeople, and ready to beat our head against the wall. And I, you know, it wasn't then, you know, a situation of black and white. It was just, we just wanted to allow women to think in a bigger way about their potential to not be shoved into either a category, you know, or a small position that they had to understand that we, you know, we are human beings. We want to believe the same things that guys do. And we want to take take our shot at mm-hmm. getting those jobs. And mm-hmm. it was a long, hard slug. I'll tell you that. But, you know, in time, and that makes me so happy to see so many women in wonderful positions, executive positions, happy lives, um, figuring out how to work family with with their with their positions, um, but also knowing that in today's world, there's there's something there for everybody. It's no longer just a pr- prescription. I love that. And and you mentioned 
And there is data that shows that in the C-suite roles, the chief marketing officer role um, does have disproportionate women representation relative to other Mm C-suites. And so, you know, I'll I'll give a a small hand clap for the momentum that we have there within that CMO role. But we know there's still a gap and there's still work to do. And so, you know, in your in your mind, kind of knowing where we've been, what can be done to further that that momentum of you know, women occupying whatever chair uh, they they want and they aspire and dream to? Well, no one's going to give it to us. You know, it's not going to come on, on a, any kind of a plate. So I think it's, it is still about making your voice heard, you know, being in the right place at the right time, getting to know the right people, um, because most of those positions start higher. And, you know, in the old days, you know, the guy just, you know, promoted his buddy. And all of a sudden the women come in and they were very, you know, those guys were not happy mm. to see us saying, you know, but I, I want those same opportunities, you know, and I want the same compensation. You know, mm-hmm. I, I remember, you know, one time going to my super boss and saying, you know, I'm so underpaid. It is ridiculous. I thought he was going to have a heart attack. I kind of wish he had, you know, but I mean, he just couldn't imagine that I was like not happy for this measly little raise I got. And, you know, it's, it was all those kind of early things. But you know what? They give you they give you a foundation of belief, of belief in your in your in your in yourself, belief in what you can become. You know, I didn't know at 22 what I really wanted to become, but I knew that I was very serious about a career. And they found all of that hard to believe. Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited today with the women who, you know, whether they've gone to graduate school or not or MBAs, you know, they see a very different future or even a present, I should say. Um, but as you know, it's still a slog. Yeah. I have to acknowledge how I feel your confidence just jumped through the screen. And <laughs> um, and I and I love it. And you know, in your book, you offer um, key lessons for success in the workplace. Um, and one of those lessons is about confidence. And so I would just love to hear you talk about the importance of confidence. And I obviously it's been an enabler of your success, you know. Where did you cultivate? Like, where did it come from? Like, it, it were you did, were you born with it? Did you did you build on it? You know, I actually think I probably was born with it. Um, my father died when I was relatively young. I was just twenty twenty two, um, but he and I were much more in tan in tandem than my older brother. You know, I just I was just dying to go out there and make it happen. You know, I didn't know what that actually meant. Um, but I just, and I, I was intrigued. I, my, one of my first interviews in Chicago, when my parents were really were hoping that I would stay in Chicago, uh, was at the Chicago Tribune. And so I just had, I was an English major in college. So I was, I was drawn to newspapers. And then when I went to New York, uh, which was just months later, um, you know, one of my roommates was interviewing at a, at, at a, a big magazine at the time. And I thought, oh, and she was in the editorial and so I went and interviewed and, and the man said, well, we don't have anything in editorial, but we have something in advertising sales. Well, I didn't even know what advertising sales meant, but, you know, I am a seller and, you know, I'm not afraid of asking for the order. You get better at it, but nonetheless, I'm not afraid of that. And in fact, there's there aren't a whole lot of things that I'm really afraid of. Um, you know, I'm not afraid of failure. I mean, I've made mistakes along the way, but you you just have got to, I think, built into yourself an expectation that you're going to be fine. 
Mm. You know, you can have a terrible day or a big fight with a boss or whatever it is, and it's it's gonna it's gonna go away. It's not it's not the end of the world. And I think too many people give up too soon. You know, at Ms. I mean, that was that was baptism by fire. I mean, it was just unbelievable what people thought of the magazine, what people thought of whatever Ms. meant, and so that you know, we got we got kind of hard skin. In a, in a nice way. I mean, we weren't horrible or anything like that, but it was like, you, you go right back in there, girl, and you just, you do it. And, and we were a tiny little team. And I think that those early jobs teach you a lot, you know, like, like, what do I want this to happen? What do I want it to become? Is it going to become something here? And if not, well, then I'm going to figure out somewhere where I'm going to be appreciated more and where my opportunities are greater. I'm always sad when I hear somebody say, well, I stuck out that job for so long. Like, well, then don't. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we live in a free country, and I think that that's really, really important. Um, but attitude is important also. You know, you like, I mean, I, I like to be surrounded with people who have a positive attitude. You know, one one bad germ in a group can really pull you down. Yeah. And so it's it's that sort of upbeat attitude, confidence. I mean, it's it's a long way of getting around to confidence. But you know, if you are, if you are recognized as someone with something to give, confidence begins to, I mean, it doesn't come overnight, but you begin to think, well, you know, like at Ms. I mean, my God, we sold a couple of ads finally. Like, wow, we can do this. And, you know, it gets bigger, the bigger you become, um, you know, it gets harder, but bigger um, and, you know, more opportunities. But it's been, um, you know, I've loved the advertising business forever and ever and ever. I want to jump in on that topic of confidence because Alicia, I suspect you have a little bit of your own confidence. And I think as women in particular, you know, that so many people talk about how women can be less confident than men. And clearly when you spend time building a career and you spend time developing relationships, both inside organizations and outside organizations, or just uh, quite frankly, you know, doing anything in the course of your day, you'll have moments of different degrees of confidence. And as you said, Kathy, I think over time, your confidence builds. But Alicia, I'm specifically curious about your relationship to confidence and if there's anything you do to help drive up your level of confidence in moments of need, because we all have those times when we're like, I'm not sure I'm feeling it. You know, <laughs> where am I going to dig deep and pull this out of? Yeah, I, I I love that question. And I think oftentimes you can look at people who are quote unquote successful and you just assume that they've done everything right. And I would say that my confidence is a lot of times come from the things that, you know, you got to be okay with messing some yeah. stuff up. You yeah. got to be okay with breaking some things, you know, and, and then just saying, you know what, I didn't get that one right. Uh, whether that be, you know, a work product or, you know, someone on a team or et cetera. And having, having the wherewithal to get right back up and say, okay, I'm going to do it again. And so I think, um, you know, that that's one way to look at it. I would say the second thing is um, I have, I have pretty humble beginnings. And um, would have never dreamed of the spaces that I've been able to occupy. And so in, in many ways, I feel like, you know, I owe it to myself. I owe it to my family. I owe it to where I come from to like, you know, we're going, we're going all in. And so just kind of wearing that, that grit, you can work hard, stay humble is the sign that you, that is behind me. I know where it's a podcast, you can't see it, but that's work hard, stay humble. That's a thing. You know, we're going to, we're going to grind it out, but we're going to hold our heads up high and, and keep at it. Just feeling like I'm bringing, again, others with me and representing a voice that needs to be heard and needs to have space. 
Um, I get confidence from my tribe of girlfriends. I get confidence from from my children. I get confidence from my aunties and my mother, you know, and try to bring them, you know, for my husband, I bring them with me. And those four little boys. Four little boys. That's exactly right. Uh, you got to be confident in this house, okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I want to tell you a funny uh, little secret. Sometimes, if I, you know, when I'm having moments of doubt, I will imagine that my children are watching me in a room where I have to have say something and I'm, I'm feeling uncertain. And I think they can't wonder whether or not I am doubting myself. They need That's to nice. believe that I believe believe in myself. And I'll use that, you know, sort of like that, you know, people say, stand up in front of a room and imagine you're, you know, every, the whole crowd is undressed. You know, that that's not what I'm imagining. I'm imagining my children are watching me and I actually have to project confidence that they they think that their mom knows what she's talking about. It helps. That's oh, right. I love that. I think that's I great. Too. Yeah, I love, I love that. that. <laughs> Kathy, do you have any specific questions for Alicia? You know, I love the fact of your total commitment to DEI. And I think you know, for your generation and for the changes that have already begun but are certainly slow to come and frustrating, I am sure. But, you know, I, I felt myself that I was opening up the doors for women. Mm -hmm. And I think in a different way today, what you and others are doing, I mean, uh, you know, across the world for that matter, it just makes the whole world and globe feel so much better. We're not there yet. We have struggles, but I think it's uh, I think it's very exciting. I really do. Going to all of those AAF meetings the other day and just in you know, all of the the winners. I mean, it was just so uplifting to think those are the things that matter now. I love that. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. No, thank you. And uh, it it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes by Toni Morrison, which I'd love to share. Which is when you get these jobs that you have been so brilliantly trained for, just remember that your real job is that if you are free, you need to free somebody else. If you have some power, then your job is to empower somebody else. And so it's, it's yeah. really the essence of what you said when you were doing your thing and you were grinding as CEO and your tribe of women and you're bringing them along and running, running the world, you had your focus, you knew the space that you were creating. And so I feel that responsibility and mm -hmm. I, you know, and I, and I hope that I'm in a fraction living into these, these words that Tony uh, Morrison left with us. I think you are. I think you <laughs> are. <laughs> you kind of know it right in your heart. <laughs> I recognize that there is quite a distinct difference in terms of the timing of your careers and the expectations put on you both as individuals, as leaders, which is to say that, Kathy, while you were building your career and bringing others along um, very much in a trailblazer fashion and you were doing work in the community, I'm not sure it was as expected of you as perhaps it is expected of leaders today. And so, Alicia, as you think about the time you spend uh, with your day job and balancing that with the time you spend in communities and bringing others along and, you know, sort of driving community impact. What advice would you give to others who think about those things and where to best spend your time and, and how to think about, you know, the value of each of those components of your life? Today, there is an expectation for authenticity. And so if I walk in a room and I say, I am for accelerating the careers of women and women of color in advertising media fields. And I've got nothing behind that statement. 
people are going to pull me on the carpet and call me out. And so, you know, and the and and I think that's a beautiful thing because you know that's where the action lives. That's where that's where the impact happens is when you know it's not just lip service or you're not just saying things um, to sort of placate to whether that be your customer or your, your employees or your teams. There's an expectation for being authentic for whatever it is you say you stand for, and so you know where everyone's connected through social, everyone's connected through, you know, their phones. And, you know, here we are today and from three different cities um, convening on this important topic, you know, everything's highly accessible. And so you can check my credibility and the authenticity of the words that I say. And I, I truly believe that, that that expectation from, again, our teams, from our customers, hopefully will make us better over time. You know, I'm going to choose to um, find the value in, in being able to, you know, check people's authenticity, because I think that realness and that humanity is what pulls us together. And frankly, where we can get inspiration and, and help even dream bigger around what's possible. Who knows what, you know, the next generation will come with, with the type of technology and, and connectiveness. Um, and so I try every day to live into that. But I'll tell you what, it's a non-negotiable to be authentic. It's non-negotiable to be what, what you stand for. And I'm, I'm grateful that um, I have space to be able to, you know, not shy away from that responsibility and obligation. That's really well, very well said. You know, I was just thinking in a slightly different way. You know, when we got out of college, you know, it was like, go to that first job. And it, it was all sort of sequential. You either did better and you got a different job or a different company, whatever. But we were totally, or I was solely dedicated to that. And I think for the current generation and all this, you know, three days at home or do you come to the office or do you even care? I was saying this to a younger woman just recently. And I said, like, I don't have the feeling like people even care that much about their jobs anymore. Now, that's a broad statement. but. I'm just not so sure that that the energy that we put into, in quotes, you know, getting ahead, getting a bigger job, whatever, um, building a family is as important on the work side. And so if you're a, if you're a leader and, you know, your your staff is sort of like just kind of uh, I don't I don't know what if that's going to be a critical thing, a problem. I don't know. I I I talk a lot uh, with teams around, you know, we just have one life. Yeah. And I think, you know, there was a time, you know, 15 years ago where you could have a work life and a home life. And we tried really hard to separate those things. And these are the types of things we say at home. These are the types of conversations we have at work. And I think for lots of reasons, they were accelerated. But I, I do think the pandemic, remember when we were all being oh, yeah. real vulnerable on Zoom calls in uh, early 2020, we had to bring some stuff that we would have never brought to the office, to the yeah. office. And so I think the question is, how can we find the power or build the trust in acknowledging that it is just one life. And so honoring both what work brings to the table and also that you are a whole person and you get one time at this thing. And so um, I, I have to do this. My um, uh, colleague and um, friend lost her son in a car accident. His name was Christian Files um, and Hugh Douglas. They went to Morehouse uh. and um, they were 20 years old, best friends and roommates and just accelerating on all dimensions. 
And you, you, they lived short lives, but they lived like life was short. And so when you think about, you know, this next generation finding that, you know, how things work together, I, you know, I'm in, encouraged by the next generation who is finding a way to make, you know, live life like it is short. And that means that sometimes their life really is more important than work. And, and that doesn't mean they're not ambitious, but I think the, the magic will be figuring that, figuring that out. It's going to be a very interesting five to 10 years. You know, change doesn't happen, as we know, overnight. And it's not all of them anyway. I mean, that's a silly statement because who knows? I mean, everyone's different. But I think that, you know, for my generation, if you wanted to really get somewhere, you were you were all in, you know, and then I adopted two kids and then you realize the pulls and the twists and all of that that goes on. But it's it's doable and a good mate as well. But I, I just think there's following COVID. I think there's a real difference in attitude these days. I agree with you. I think that's right. And um, maybe, you know, in closing, we can get ready to wrap, but I do have one question. Oh, for the no, two of are you. we over? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I could listen to the two of you speak all day for, for sure. You're doing um, just fine. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love all of the anecdotes that you're sharing. Um, but because we are here in celebration of Alicia's induction into the Advertising Hall of Achievement. And Kathy, because you've already been inducted into the Advertising Hall of Fame, I'm sure, Alicia, you are well on your way to that induction in the future. I guess I would ask you both with respect to the impact of the advertising industry today, where do you feel like there is room for growth for the industry? And what do you think the industry as a whole might think differently about as we look toward the future and we are introduced to new technologies, new ways of engagement, new understanding of audiences and how they consume content and so on and so forth. So uh, really just um, parting thoughts with respect to the advertising industry moving forward and how people who are coming into the industry might think about driving impact. I think one thing that has always been the same about the advertising industry and, and its success is that it's about ideas. I mean, at the end of the day, advertising is an idea. It's to compel someone to do something good or eat or drink or whatever it is. And that's why I think it's an industry that has sustained itself because it is full of really smart people, really driven people um, with great expectations and great creativity. And creativity at the end of the day is what is going to drive, you know, success, businesses, new companies. All, all of the things that we are so excited about, you know, these days, it is it is those things and the rest of it will become perhaps less important. I'm all in on that. And I'm just going to build on top of on top of that note, Kathy, you know, advertising at its core is human centric. It's centered on knowing people and understanding how people are motivated to buy something, sell something, to take action better than anyone else. And so even with our shifts and use of AI and technology, I would offer that you'd have to put human-centered in front of that. It's not tech for tech's sake. It's not social for social. No, you are tapping into a customer, a person, a human, and you're using that to move them to do something. And so that's why, you know, we talked a lot about DEI today. That's why the representation of marketers and advertising of the future have to represent your customer base. It's not, you know, 
there's so much conversation around brand versus performance. No, it, it, what are we what are we trying to accomplish? And let's get down to being very specific around what the objectives are. But at the end of the day, we're talking about people. You know, we're talking about people and ideas. And sometimes we might complicate things, uh, you know, because there is technology involved and things do change faster than ever. And but I think if we kind of keep things down, making sure that we keep the people part of our industry intact, we'll, we'll continue to be in good shape. I, th- I think the people part of it has really come very alive in the last couple of decades. I mean, we used to sort of follow in line, but now there's so many different ways you can do something. And perf- I love the word performance. You know, if you perform, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're sitting in, you know, California or Chicago or Miami or anywhere else. I mean, if you perform, you should be able to build a very successful career. Um, and I think that those, the doubters have become less and less. <laughs> I love all of that. And uh, how lucky are we to be joined by two of the most incredible people within the industry and whose impact continues to help move us all along. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining for making the time for this conversation, obviously for all of the impact, for paving the way, and for continuing to be committed to driving our industry forward. What a gift you two are. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And thank you, Alicia. It was fun being with you. Lots of fun. Thank you, Kathy. Well, that does it for this episode of the Future Legends of Advertising podcast on iHeart. I'm Ross Martin. And I'm Haley Romer, and thank you for listening. We'll be back with another episode before you know it. And for more information on the American Advertising Federation, go to aaf.org.